Hey guys, this is Bruce and this is Convo Courses. Every week I do a podcast where I do open-ended questions, I teach, um, and this is about security compliance. Um, a lot of other people are talking about um, how to hack, pen testing, stuff like that. Our focus is security compliance. The reason why I do that is because a lot of people don't really talk about this. It's not really, while it's not a big topic, while it's, people don't know about it, Actually, that's a huge benefit to to you guys who are trying to get jobs in cybersecurity. So that's what we're going to focus on. If you have any questions while we go through this, feel free to ask them. This is a perfect opportunity to do so. Before I get started, I want to let you guys know I have a, pod, I have a site called ConvoCourses.com where it's free to sign up, tons of free downloadables, free training um, on all things cybersecurity. Um, I'm also open for other people to join me to teach. If you actually happen to be an actual IT professional or cybersecurity professional, you can actually make a course and put post it on ConvoCourses.com. But check out ConvoCourses.com. I um, also wrote a few books uh, on risk management framework, ISO stuff. There's another book coming in the series. If you're interested, go to Amazon and type in RMS, RMF ISO, I-S-S-O, and uh, you'll find it. And if you happen to be watching me right now, here's what it looks like. Um, my name is Bruce, so look for that uh, that author. And then also I have an audio version of this book as well. So check it out. Um, there's two different versions of it. And um, very informative. It's, it's basically everything I wish somebody would have taught me when I started. And also things that I know people really need to know, which is interpretation of the uh, of the security controls for the NIST 800 and uh, lots of great information on there. I've been doing this for years. So there's tons and tons of free resources on uh, YouTube and I'm starting to put it on TikTok as well. I'm getting a lot of feedback from TikTok. So I'm, I'm going to keep posting on there. It's really, really a great community, really a uh, very I had no idea there's so many people who wanted to know more stuff about this, how to get into cybersecurity, how to actually to, to do this kind of stuff. So so I'm, I'm excited to keep going here. I got uh, somebody on YouTube just said uh, just found you on YouTube um, while it, uh, while looking for ISO material. Great resource. Um, and thank you, Bruce. And thanks a lot. Thank you for the kudos. Appreciate that. I'm going to keep going. Keep uh, providing great information out there for you guys. And um, what I want to teach today, what I want to talk about today is uh, the security control family. So I'm actually going to go by, go through this book right here. This book uh, is one of the ones that's actually out there on, um, on uh, Amazon. And what I do is I break down the interpretation of security controls as an ISO as a GRC professional, as a compliance person, specifically doing uh, risk management framework, NIST 800, one of the top things you're, you're, you have to do is interpret the security controls. So I have a whole course on how to do this, but for those who would rather read it and, and see images and stuff, um, I've got a book out there as well. It's not super long read. I'm breaking it in the parts so it's not super long. I just get straight to the point. This one's only about 200 pages long, and I go through each one of the controls and the things that you really need to know about the families. Not, I don't go through all 1,000 controls. What I do is I, 
I go through all the families of controls and I interpret those and tell you, hey, these are the ones you need to know. Here's what this one's about. Here's where you need to focus your energy as an information system security officer. That's that's what this book is all about. I've got another one coming out that focuses on how to assess controls, how like as a, an assessor, whether you are ISO doing assessor work or you're actually uh, a SCA. That one's coming out, but that one's going to take me a little bit longer to read what to write because there's a lot more going on. And in the meantime, I'm writing one that's about um, how to get into cybersecurity because I got so many people asking me about how to get into cybersecurity. So I, I decided to go ahead and write that one first. What I want to do is focus on one part of this book. I want to focus on a security control family called S, uh, SA controls. Was it SA controls? I was going to SA controls. So SA controls deals with acquisitions. Um, and so I'm going to focus on that one. If you already have this book, then it already addresses what I'm about to talk about, but we're going to hit it from a different perspective. Here's, here's what we're talking about here. SA controls, which is systems and services acquisitions. That has to do with when your organization uh, is purchasing is purchasing some sort of um, license from an organization, or they're purchasing. Uh, it could be firewalls, it could be routers, it could be switches, whatever the case may be. But your organization, all organizations do this, by the way. So no, no organization is exempt from this. So this is this is talking about. Uh, what what do we do as information system security officers, as as security professionals? What do we do to make sure that the organization is doing this in a secure manner? Because we don't want to just go to Best Buy and buy a, buy a router. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't. You can. And there's a reason why you don't do that. And that's the kind of stuff we're going to discuss. So. Um, what I did was I broke this one down and actually let me for those of you who are watching, I want to show you what I'm talking about here. Let me let me kind of switch the screens. Uh, let me show you, give you a better idea of what's going on here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do. I'm on a whole different uh, platform here, so bear with me. <laughs> uh, so here we go right here. Hey, Daryl Charity, I see you, man. Um, it said, uh. How are you and Yuri? Um, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Um, and uh, that's something I could talk about to you on a personal level, by the way. <laughs> uh, this is this is all security stuff, so that's what we're going to focus on. But uh, we're going to talk about this control, SSA control. So let me give you a visual, and I'll walk you through it. And for those who are only listening, I'll, I'll definitely explain what we're looking at. So what we're looking at here um, is... The risk management framework, um, risk management framework control families for um, system and services acquisition. Acquisition meaning we purchased our organization purchased a firewall. We purchased services for that firewall. We purchased um, services for cloud, right? Which is a big one right now. We purchased whatever it is. That's what acquisition mean. How we bought, we purchased a certain. Uh, hardware software service or something from an organization now how do we do this in a secure manner so the very first thing is we have to have a policy in place a policy that describes what our organization will and won't do as far as uh, how we act acquire products and services because there's rules to this 
You can't just go to Best Buy, like I said, and buy. And the reason why is because we don't know who we've got to know if we are. Think about it at, at your bank. Think about your bank. OK, perfect example at your bank. Would you want your bank to have a go and buy a router from from some source that is compromised? Believe it or not, there are there are routers, there's switches, there's internet working devices and computers that are compromised by governments by uh by other governments that have some there's some there's actual systems and software that you should not purchase because they they already have a bunch of uh of spyware in them or they they have a bunch forget about spyware forget about that forget it like uh they have a bunch of open source technologies built into them they have a bunch of zero day exploits they have a bunch of weaknesses in them so we have to be aware of what we're buying for our bank if we we run a we run a bank we want to make sure we have the best product to protect our members in our bank in our credit union whatever the case may be so we can't just randomly go out and buy stuff we don't have the luxury of doing that now if you you want to buy whatever router at home from best buy or walmart or whatever and you don't care if it comes from you know, if it came from whatever country, you don't care about that. You just want Huawei. You just want it to be cheap. Then that's cool. That's that's fine. Like, what are you actually risking? Right. <clears throat> you may not care if somebody is uh, has your information out there online. But if you have a bank, if you have if you if you've got money on the line, if you got a reputation to protect, you actually have to have a policy in, in place that says, look, we are not buying any hardware from a company that doesn't have uh, at least one year of service so that if the system goes down, forget about spyware, forget about zero-day exploits, forget about vulnerabilities on that software. What about uh, an organ? What about the vendor? Like if we don't have support from the vendor, we have another whole nother problem. So that's why SA is so important. We have to make sure that whenever our organization is purchasing Whatever software, whatever hardware, whatever services, we have to make certain that we're we are making sure that it has a certain level of confidentiality, a, a certain level of protection, a certain level of encryption, a certain level of support for our system. And so somebody said, Chidi said, uh, hey, Bruce, uh, can a statement of work contract uh, SOW contract document? be used uh, to assess some SA controls. Um, it can be it can be used as an artifact if we if we are if we need to validate whether or not there's a certain level of support. Yeah. So SO SOWs come in, in handy. Contract and stuff come in handy when you are assessing that in SA control. So that can be used to say to validate whether or not the organization has adequate um, has enough coverage for the sport. So absolutely, yes. When you're assessing it, that could be one of the things that you use to conduct the assessment and say, yes, here's the, as a matter of fact, I, this is what I did in my last organization when we were doing, they didn't call it SA controls because they were using, um, they were using CIS controls, which is a whole nother framework. But we had to do the same things like all those security best practices still apply no matter where you're working, whether it's in a bank or it's in a hospital or whether you're in the government. All of these things apply. The government is just very thorough about how they 
how they implement these things. So let's start with the, with policies. So policy and procedures. Now, what are policies actually going to address? And I'll I'll go a little bit deep deeper on what uh, Chidi's saying as far as using a statement of work um, as a contract document to assess some of the security controls. The answer is yes on that, but I want to go into a little bit more detail about that. So let's start from the policy. When you write the policy for um, for for any framework really, but sp specifically for NIST 800, what you want to do is make sure that you're covering all the requirements for that organization. And if you want to know what kind of requirements, what do they look like? Well, you're looking right at them. So um, for those who are listening, we're looking at a list of all the controls that's in SA for NIST 800. So let me just read a couple that are very important. Um, a couple of them, uh, SA3, which is Security Development Lifecycle. And this is very briefly, just does the system, does the system that you are developing follow the system development lifecycle? Meaning from, from cradle to grave, are we tracking the system? Um, are, are we making sure that any new components that are put on the system when we're maintaining it are still within our requirements when we're requiring when we are buying that new system and putting it in place from from the start of the system when we're actually buy, purchasing all the components and all the services till the time that we have to retire the system we have to make sure that the system is has security from the cradle to the grave um Acquisition process. This is making sure the organization has an actual acquisition process. And this gets into things like a, a sale. Like you might have you might have to make sure that the organization has uh, a, 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 a statement of work to make sure that 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 uh, that system is maintained properly. That might be part of the acquisition process. Um, system documentation that also gets into the contracting information, but also we get into the details of the actual development of the system, the actual uh, diagrams of the system. How does it work? Did we uh, did we put all of the configuration, installation, operation? Is all that stuff documented? So this very quickly uh, from a high level, uh, we have to obtain or develop administrator documentation for the system and the system components. We need documentation for all of this. And the reason why is because continuity. If if we have uh, system engineers, we have system administrators, and they leave, we got to make sure that there's enough system documentation to pass it on to the next person. It's all a part of the acquisition process. And there's a lot of overlap with some of the other controls that do the same thing. Um, software usage restrictions. Let me let me get to another really couple good ones here that I always see because um, you don't use whenever you do system security, uh, system security um, documentation, you're not using every single control. You're using all the controls that are necessary to secure the system. It wouldn't be practical to use every single security control. It just wouldn't make any sense because if you don't, for example, if you don't have software you've developed in-house you might not need some of these things you might not need for example uh developer provided training with sa16 if you have no developers there you wouldn't need that one in particular you that'd be a not applicable it'd be an na you might not need developer security and privacy architecture design if you have no developers that you have no a lot of organization i work in don't have developers on site so they don't need this so uh, but some of the ones you do need, 
supply chain protection is a big one. Um, if you do have developers, then yeah, developing developer testing and evaluation SA11 would, would definitely come into play. A really big one is external system services. If you're using any kind of external systems, SA9 comes into play. So yeah, so SA at a from a uh, from a bird's eye view, the main thing that SA covers is is these things. So in the book, I'm reading my own book, but <laughs> is acquisitions. Acquisitions is when they purchase, when the organization has a, starts a contract for a service or components, like if they have a service contract with Dell or with Cisco, you know, that's acquisitions. We, we have to have requirements. We got to make sure that VMware or whoever we're making our documentation with, our contract with, our agreement with, is meeting our requirements, and that would be part of acquisitions job. Another thing that SA Controls covers is system engineering. So that's where the, uh, the uh, SDLC comes in, the system development lifecycle. Let me, let me kind of give you a bird's eye view of this one. So there's lots of controls. There's like 23 controls, if I'm not mistaken. But the main things that they're going to cover in SA is acquisitions, system engineering, software engineering. That's Those are the things that it covers. But right now, we're talking about system development lifecycle. What are we talking about here? We're talking about making sure there's security through the lifecycle of the system. Uh, so when we're acquiring, when we're developing, when we're managing the system, we have to make sure that uh, we have security and privacy in place. And that's what this is saying right here in this control. Uh, another thing we're doing is defining the documentation for all the roles and the people that are involved, all the stakeholders that are involved. Stakeholder just means uh, all the people who have a vested interest in what's going on. They might be the developer. They might be a system administrator. They might, it might be you. You might be the security control person. So all of those are stakeholders, by the way. Um, so those are the things that go into uh, to the system engineering portion of this. Now, very briefly, what I would like to cover is a little bit of the software development piece, because this is a big one, especially if you have an organization that's doing a lot of software developing. Uh, SA comes in. There's a lot of SA controls for this one, and you'll see why in a minute. It all has to do with develop development. So acquisitions, it it's an umbrella that encompasses uh, you putting a system together and making sure that all the components, that there's no one component or one part of the system or one bit of code that compromises the whole system, if that makes any sense. Or one device that you bought, you purchased and put that in the mix, and that comprom compromises your whole system. So that's kind of the overarching idea of SA controls. And um, let me just kind of give you an example of software. So software, let me see, software usage restrictions, let me see. We're talking about, let's get, let's get into the developer side of this. Developer configuration management. This is really, really important because we can't just have our, if we are developing on software, we can't just have the organization just develop with any type of language, doing whatever they want, right? There's system requirements that we have to meet in order to do our mission are our business. Business essential functions have to have requirements and we have a very clear restrictions on what this software needs to have going forward. So what are we talking about here specifically? We're going to perform 
configuration management during the system component and services. Uh, so what does this mean? A configuration management has to do with um, not only documenting the organ the the system design, but also making sure that um, nothing steps out of our the requirements that we have, and making sure that there's proper security controls in place. Uh, so not only does it function properly, but also are the proper security controls in place, and are are we buying things? are purchasing or um, putting things in place that we can support. All of those things have to do with uh, the configuration and making sure that the configuration is managed properly. Another thing is that we don't want to have a bunch of different configurations. Like let's say we had we, – we know this software is going to be put on three types of systems. We know it's going to be put on Linux. It's going to be put on Windows, and it will be put on a Mac device, right? So we don't want – Configuration management means that it's going to have the same configuration, even though they're a, a different, has to design it differently because it's on these different architectures of different systems. But configuration management means it's going to look the same when we put it on all these different systems and, and the user experience will be, will be all the same. And the reason why that's important is because think about it. If you have 1,500 systems and of those 1,500 systems, you got uh, a third of them are Mac devices, and then uh, and then two thirds of them are Windows devices. And then you got three or four of them that are, are Linux devices. And now you, the system administrators, have to manage that all that stuff. But it's like chaos because now they're all the systems are different. All the the the, the or the user experience is different. So now when when somebody calls in a ticket, they're like, okay, well, okay, let's. Uh, we we have three different fix actions for. I mean, you're gonna have different fix actions, but if the user experience is different, you don't even know what to look for. Like, it's gonna make it harder on the person who has to fix that system if the user experience is completely different. You know what I mean? So, the more you can control the configurations, the better it's gonna be for the organization, and the more money that will be saved for the organization because they don't have to train fifteen different guys for 15 different systems if if that makes any sense. So this is what is con what we're talking about is configuration management of software design, a software development, making sure they all look the same, making sure that they it says implement only organization approved changes. That's another big one is is changes uh change management. So change management is a, is a big one because Anytime the organ the system changes, we have to make sure that um, everybody's on board with it. You can't just have somebody changing up the system. You can't have somebody changing up the system um, willy nilly. Like they, they take it up on themselves to go ahead and change the system, and nobody knows about it. Uh, so you in an organization, especially with a critical piece of software, a mission critical, business critical, business essential system. You have to put it through a change management process so that the configuration management is maintained. Everybody, that means everybody is on the same page with the changes that are about to happen. And so that if it, if there's a major change, I mean, I've been to organizations where there, it wasn't managed properly. Like, and, and this, this is one of the main things that one of the biggest things that organizations screw up is configuration management and control management. If you don't have that, 
it's really, really difficult to maintain the security. So I've been in organizations that had that. And let me tell you, the turnover is very fast, meaning people are leaving because it's too stressful. Because they, especially if it's a really important system and the the everybody's trying to pick, keep up, you know, system administrators, the system architectures, the the technicians on the ground, the the users are having a horrible experience because they can't get people to fix stuff fast enough. It's just chaos when they don't have good configuration management, especially with software, because software can get really bad really fast. Like software can get completely out of hand really, really fast, especially if the organization developed it themselves. I don't know if you've ever been to an organization where somebody developed the software and then they they developed it five years ago and they left and nobody can get a hold of that person. They didn't have good documentation. They didn't they don't have they didn't leave anything for anybody else to take over. They didn't teach anybody to actually maintain the system. So now you're left with a bundle of code that might have a vulnerability in it. Right. Or the software, the operating system has to change, but no, but everybody knows that we have to develop the 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 application that sits on top of it from scratch if we change the operating system. That man, that happens so often. A lot of times that's why people that's why organizations have to keep legacy systems because the because they didn't have a good enough uh configuration management on the software that they use for their major business essential functions. And so now they they have they're stuck with Windows 95 because their software that they use for their business only works on Windows 95. And they know it's going to cost them 10 million dollars to redesign this system from scratch. So that that happens a lot. But that's why configuration management and software is so important. Let me let me touch on one more and then we'll move on to, to other things here. Um, somebody said, could you share that PowerPoint? So uh, this is not a PowerPoint that I'm showing you. I'm showing you an actual site. Um, if you're interested in going to the site, you can literally follow along with me. This is from NIST 800. Let me, let me switch my screen on TikTok. Um, and I, I see another question here, but let me just address this one first. Um, I always get like a lot of really good, uh, interaction on TikTok. And even though I don't have a lot of followers anyway. So this is the site right here. If you just go to Google, type in, if you type in nist.gov or csrc.nist.gov, you'll find the risk management framework um, security controls. That's what this is. So this, or you can just type this in right here, uh, nist853, rev5.1, and sp800-53b you'll find what I'm looking at here. So I'm looking at a string of all the security control families, and we're focused right now on um, on NIST uh, uh, SA, uh, SA controls. And I wanted to cover like one more to give you guys an idea of what SA controls are all about, because we already talked about uh, the policies. We talked about we talked a little bit about acquisitions. We we talked a little bit about software. We talked a little bit about uh, security uh, system development lifecycle. Those are the main things that are covered in SA controls. I'm going to cover one that's not normally used to give you an example of why all all of these are not used all the time. And if you look here, it kind of even tells you that. So. Um, they're telling you if you have a low impact system, 
and a low impact system, if I could explain it briefly, it just means like a web server. It means a system that has publicly available information. It doesn't have it doesn't have uh, like sensitive information or classified information. It's just a web server you guys use to advertise the organization. So that's low impact. Moderate impact. It, it means like you it there's a business essential function to it. But if it went down, you can get if you got it back up within 24 hours, it, it'd be fine or even a day or two. Maybe it's a it's a, a it's a uh, a system for payments or something like that. Now, payments are important. Right. But it's not a life destroyer like payments come every, you know, by by monthly or, or monthly or something. You have time to fix this system. And as long as the data like people's uh, username, passwords and as long as. Their social security numbers are not compromised and, you know, you're OK. So it's a moderate impact system. So if it if the system went down, how would it how much would it impact the system? That's why they say low, moderate or high impact was the impact to the organization. Think of it that way. High impact is where somebody if the system is compromised, somebody could either die. Uh, it can embarrass the entire country. It, it can it can embarrass a, a, a whole organization. The organization could lose a lot of money. Uh, think of Uber. So Uber's Uber had a high impact system get hit recently. I don't know if you guys knew about this, but Uber had some um, a teenager, a, an eighteen year old dude, did social engineering and was able to get obtain uh, one of the staff's username and password. Unfortunately, and they had multi factor authentication, but unfortunately. What the guy kept doing is, you know how whenever you have multi-factor authentication, like you use your username and your password, and then it'll say, now you got to give me the code. Or is this, is it, hey, somebody's trying to sign in. Is this approved? Is this approved? They had that set up, but but they kept doing it over again, over and over again, trying to sign in, right, until the guy hit, yes, this is approved, right? Don't Don't ever do that, by the way. If you see something saying, hey, is this approved? Don't say if you don't under if you don't know what that is and it's coming from a place that you don't know, do not say yes, it's approved. Go ahead, come into the so that's what happened with Uber. So once this guy got in, that would have been bad, right? And that, that actually happens from time to time. But what's really bad is when the when the when the person got in, what they did was they were able to go on their share drive and see a script. And the script had a you it had a password. It had a uh, it has not just any password, <laughs> username, password. It had a um, a system administrator username and password built into the script. So that means that somebody wrote a script and then in the script a username, password. So this so that this code that they wrote is more convenient. The code can access systems and do what it needs to do, right? So it's that, and that's not a problem. Like people do that. But the problem is that the code was put in a place where anybody could get it. Any, like, that is not cool. Like, there should have been an another place that people, somebody would have had to use another username and password just to get to that code. They should have at least made it difficult for the person to get to that next level. But they didn't. So Uber got compromised. And the impact of this is they lost they lost millions of dollars um, and their reputation is 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 messed up right now. I mean, I'm sure they'll bounce back, but that's a high impact system. They were able to get into their inner servers on their internal systems and compromise that, which is crazy. 
but that does happen. Like another example of a high impact system would be uh, one example I use all times. If you had a, a system that, that tracked troop movements in, in, um, in, in classified locations all over the world, if you had a logistically, a logistic system that tracks all the troops or whatever uh, places that, you, that, that would be a high impact. If imagine somebody got a hold of that information, they'd be able to take your troops out. They'd be able to strat to have a strategy to move around your troops or whatever. That's a high impact system. That's like loss of lives, loss of millions and millions of dollars, loss of an entire organization. Cause Uber could have, it could have been really bad. I mean, if that, if that hacker got in, he could have destroyed everything. He could have deleted all their stuff. He could have, I mean, he could have ransacked their whole thing. So actually, they owe that guy. They should thank that guy because he he just all he did was say, Hey, I compromised your system. Here I'm inside. He did a couple jokes in there or whatever. He could have destroyed their whole business. He could have. So yeah, that's a high, that's an example of a high impact system. I say all that to say that these control is telling you which controls that you need to apply to your system based on the type of system that you have. Now, some of these, you'll notice, are not within a high, a low, or a medium, or moderate, rather. So let me just give you an example of one of those. And these, the, the, that just means that, you know, this, this only is for tamper-resistant and tamper-resistance and detections for uh, SA-18. Not everybody has this. So this is a very specialized control for a very specialized situation. And actually, this one was withdrawn, so I'll, I'll uh, skip that one. And that's another thing. Some of these controls are withdrawn. They change from time to time, and they merge this one with a, with a SR9. So I'd have to go to SR9 to see tamper-resistant detection. But before, instead of doing that, what I'll do is I'll just find another one. Let me see if I can find one that wasn't withdrawn. Specialization. Let's see what this one is. Was this withdrawn? No. Okay. So what is this one? Specialization is dealing with um, um, supporting a mission essential system or function to increase the trustworthiness uh, in those system components. Okay, it says uh, it is often necessary. I've never even read this one before. So <laughs> there's there's a thousand controls. I've never even read this one before. But uh, let me see. It says um, is often necessary for systems or system components that support mission essential functions to have an enhanced maximized trustworthiness for resources sometimes the this enhancement is done uh designed at a high level um it says is done post after the design is done so this sounds like something like a, an example of this might be a cross domain solution cross domain solution is like where 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 a system has a a a high a high level, like say top secret, and they have to send information from a high top secret to a just secret. And you might have an, a, and you might have a reason to have extra precautions, extra trustworthiness that's necessary to make sure that the data is, is, um, the data that you need is, uh, is sound. Uh, so, so that you might need that control for that. So I just want to give you an example of all the components of SA controls. We talked about acquisitions, of course, when you're purchasing or getting new contracts in place. We talk, and then you've got to have the con 
make sure that the, it meets the requirements for that. SA controls cover that. Then you got serve system development lifecycle, making sure that the system has security in place from cradle to grave. And then we talked about uh, software development, making sure that as you're developing it, you have documentation, you have, you're meeting the requirements, there's security in place, you're doing change control, all of those things. And there's a lot of other things that go into each one of those areas. So that is SA controls. There's uh, over 18 different families of controls. And a lot of times organizations will even add their own control families. And if you guys want to know more about this, you can go to uh, check out you actually you, a lot. This stuff is free, but you see the way it's worded. Sometimes it's just confusing and it's very, very detailed and deep. So what I did was I wrote like a summarization of those control families. And the reason why I did this is because this is one of the main when I used to teach, I used to work for an organization where I taught and went all over the world teaching uh, people about uh, security compliance. And the main question I got was, how do I interpret this control family? How do I interpret this control family? I have this situation. How does this SA control group apply to my organization's situation? So I wanted to write a book to just summarize it and get straight to the point. If you're interested in getting this book or other books that I've written, uh, just go to Amazon uh, and uh, type in RMF ISO, you'll see the book there. You can get the hard copy. And actually, I also have an audio version of this if you want to learn more. I also have a foundations book, audio version, very short read. It's only about an hour and a half long. And it goes straight to the point of what you need to know for a risk management framework for NIST 800. So this right here is, is really key to some, some people just don't they're very new to this, so they want to know what's going on. Okay, somebody says, uh, uh, I was at an organization where a guy who developed the legacy app died, and we couldn't upgrade. Wow. So you know how many times I've seen this kind of thing happen? Not necessarily death, but normally. But yes, I've seen that too. I've seen that too, where there was they, they had some dude who who was with the organization for a really, really long time. And the dude was brilliant. He wasn't going anywhere. And then he retired. The guy retired. I've had one where uh, one where the, the dude retired and people had to come in and redesign it because it had been so long ago that it only worked on Windows 2000. So they had to upgrade to Windows, a more current version of Windows. And now by the time they left, it was they were already we we're already in Windows 7. Uh, not Windows 7, with Windows 2008 at the time. Now, in, now even Windows 2008, you know how this works. Windows 2008 is gone. Like it's it's in the past, and now we're having to move on. So you have to have a change management process, a uh, configuration management process where everything is documented properly, so that when we do have to upgrade the software, it can change hands very easy, or not easily necessarily, but at least it can be changed um easier i should say you know so yeah i i i know what you mean like he says uh he's he was in an organization where the guy died and they had to they couldn't upgrade a system man that stuff happens more often than you think and it's not just death it's uh people retiring especially with the boomers the boomer generation is people born in the 60s people born from i don't know 1940s to 1960s i think something like that 
And those guys are retiring now. You know, those guys are they're they're bailing. So all those software engineers, all those who develop stuff on old or, or old systems, they're they're out of here. All right. So let me see. I've got somebody said, how may I reach you? OK, let me let me see if I can show you guys how to reach me. It's at contact at combocourses.com. But what I'll do is let me put it put it up here right right here. This is my contact information. If you happen to be watching the stream, uh, it's contact at convocourses.com. I get people asking me questions about um, how to get in this field or which course should they buy or where can they get free material or, or um, things like that. Um, some From time to time, if I can actually do one-on-ones with people, I'm, I'm going to do those a lot less because I actually have a job that's starting here real soon. So I'm not going to be able to do that kind of stuff anymore. And that's why I wrote the books. I wrote the books so that when people want questions, I can just say, go, you know, here's the book right here. And by the way, like, if you're like, well, Bruce is just trying to get money. Yes. Yes. I am trying to get money. Okay. I'm just going to keep it real with you. <laughs> but also you can get the shit for free to be honest with you. Like you can literally get some of this stuff for free. If you go to YouTube, most of my stuff's on YouTube. A lot of it, like if you, you're going to have to sort through it. But, man, I've talked about this for so long. I've probably covered every topic twice already. I've got like 700 videos. But if you want a condensed version of this and you're trying to invest in yourself so you don't mind spending some money, then, yeah, con, like RMF ISO, if, you want, if you're trying to get into NIST 800 controls. And the beauty of knowing these controls is that if you know this control family, here's this is crazy. And this is crazy. I'm gonna put you on some game. If you know this control family right here, if you know this control family, the stuff that I'm showing, if you happen to be watching me on the screen, if you know this stuff, if you understand it, if you understand this stuff right here. This is game right here. This is game change. I'm about to change somebody's life. Some one of y'all is gonna listen to me. If you understand this stuff right here then you can understand PCI, you can understand PCI DSS. That's this framework for um, for conducting uh, assessments and putting in place security controls for credit card systems. You also can understand Sarbanes-Oxley. That's for financial institutions, banks, trusts, um, uh, uh, investment corporations, places like that. You also could understand HIPAA. That's for hospitals. HIPAA is nothing to you if you understand this stuff. Um, ISO 27001, I recently had somebody contact me about this. And they said, hey, we saw your resume. You are a great pick for this. And I and I said, well, just send me a job description as I usually do, right? I'm talking to the screener. And then they sent me the description. I said, they kind of mentioned this. But really, they wanted an ISO 27001 person. ISO 27001 is the same stuff I'm showing you here, but it's for an international standard. They contacted me, and this is not the first time this has happened. And then they I had an, they gave me an interview based off, and I said, look, guys, I'm, I, I've done a little bit of ISO 27001, but my main bread and butter, the stuff I really know well, is NIST 800. But I, but I know that... NIST 800, these family of controls are so similar to ISO 27001 that I can, I could totally write stuff for ISO 27001 because I know what ACE, I know what access control 
uh, is supposed to look like. I know what awareness and training is supposed to look like. Audit and accountability. Um, the stuff I just read, SA controls. I know the acquisitions has to happen and how it's it should happen. These are all the secret of all of this is that these are the security best practices that every organization should have on some level, including your mom and pop stores. If they have any kind of internet connection, if they have any kind of connection to the internet at all, if actually it even covers physical controls. So even physical controls are covered with this stuff you see here on the screen. And if you don't have that for your organization, the the bigger you get, the more of a target you become for your organization becomes. So you you have to have some level of security, have to have some level of controls there. So that's why this stuff is so valuable. And I'm so surprised that more people don't talk about it because it actually pays really well. It pays really well, right? If that's your incentive, and it should be your incentive to get paid. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. And let me tell you, it pays. It pays. I'm, I've, I don't have to be without a job. You know what I mean? I'm constantly getting contacts. I have a job now, and I'm still getting contacted by people, and I got to turn stuff away. Imagine how many having six-figure jobs coming to you on a daily basis, and you're turning them down. That is what I'm doing. And it's all because I know this stuff right here. Yeah. All right. Let me see. Let me see if I have any more questions. I, I'm getting a ton of questions on uh, TikTok. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, this is a great opportunity to ask. If you have any questions about this career field, are you trying to get into it or working in this field? Like I'm, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, I know a little something about it. You know, I don't know everything, but I I can put you on some on some game that get get you into this field, uh, to get you at least get you started on it. Um, so let me see. Uh, I've got so many questions on. I want to really answer all of these individually on TikTok. I'm I'm kind of looking through my comments here. Um, somebody said, um, um, gotta take mine today. Uh, oh man, oh yeah, this is about the Kia challenge. People getting their Kias stolen wow literally somebody went on there and said that they got their stolen um uh i don't know never seen Japan. okay yeah i got so many questions it's really great to see how many questions that i get on a regular excuse me on a regular basis on um on uh tiktok um i'm really i'm actually quite surprised by it um uh, let me see. Please, man, know how to contact you. My contact is is right below. Contact at combocourses.com. I'm working. I'm going to be working here real soon, so I don't know how much I can do. I've been off for like four months. Uh, one of the great things about this field, I guess I could talk about that. One of the great things about this field is, uh, is that um, – I mean, I've been going through some hard times lately. You know, lately I've been having some real serious. And last year has been a huge transition in my life where, um, you know, I, I on a personal note, I, I got a, I had a divorce, you know, had a divorce and um, it was rough. And so I and at the same time, I have some issues with my kids, you know, and I'm like, damn, like what? 
what the hell am I going to do here? And because my job, my freaking job, man, they, first of all, I told them, I said, look, I, I'm going through a lot of stuff here. I don't know if I can do this. It was, it was a great job working for, I work for an organization that, uh, it, one of the main, one of the, one of the big uh, tech firms in the U.S. who do like phones and stuff. So you can probably guess it's probably in your head right now. So I worked for them and for about three years and it was great. Like I, I love the people and all that stuff, but I had to travel a lot. So that was the main reason I had to leave. And, um, I just had major issues. I had a, my, my, my wife freaking divorced me. I, my kids are, I'm a stay, I'm a single father right now. You know, I'm like, damn, what am I going to do? My job actually offered for me to be gone for two months. Um, what kind of job offers for you to be, to leave for two months? They offered for me to leave for two months. And, uh, I was like, well, I can't, you know, I already know like all the people I'm working with, um, they, they're, we have a lot of travel. So I'm like, it wouldn't be fair to them if I'm, if I'm in a slot and I can't, I can't travel. So I said, no, nah, I don't know if I can come back. And that's another thing is I was like, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to come back because, because of the travel. And so I just told them, no, you know, I won't take the sabbatical. I'll just, I will just quit. I quit and I've been off for the last four months. I have been off for the last four months and I went to another country to hang out for one month. <laughs> Crazy, right? And I've been able to do all of that because because I work in cybersecurity. I was able I I've been saving I have money saved up, I have access to money, I have a business that has a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of income that comes in. So I was able to actually quit working at my job. I, I did not, I was not employed for four months. How many people can do that? And it's because, because I have, I've been, I've been doing this field for so long. I've been doing it so long that I can, I can pull in a six figure income. I can use that six figure. I don't live off the whole six figure income, right? After taxes, I'm still good though. So then I'm able to invest in myself, invest in my businesses, invest in stuff like this, right? And so all of that stuff made it so my life is my life's still good, you know? And because of that, I have a I have a great relationship with my ex. You know, it's fine. But I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm still doing great. I don't that's one less thing I have to worry about. You know what I mean? Like somebody says, sorry to hear about those personal challenges. Good to see that you're moving forward. Yeah, you know, what else can I do? Right. I mean. But I know that this is really hard for somebody who, who might not have the income to do something like this. My my income streams are so solid that I mean, I'm I'm doing all right. You know what I mean? Now, granted, I've been off for four months and not it's time for me to go back to work. <laughs> I can't do this for any much longer. Like I'm done. I have to go back to work, like for sure. Like I don't have it like that, you know. I'm not a multimillionaire or anything, but I'm I'm doing okay. I don't have to stress about about money, but I remember that what that stress feels like, and so that's why that's why I put out stuff like this, and that's why I'm actually writing another book on how to get into I into cybersecurity because that's what I know. So I'm going to help other people to to actually do this kind of stuff, and um and 
that that's kind of where I've, I've moved my focus um, for you guys um, to, to help more people out. Somebody said, how many pages is your book? So I've got two different books out right now. I'm working on a couple other ones. Like I said, those are coming out really soon. It's going to be about how to get into cybersecurity, um, how to get into cybersecurity. I don't. I'm pretty sure I'm going to sell on Amazon. I probably have two different versions of it. But the, there's two different books right now. If you go to Amazon.com, just type in ISO 20, uh, RMF ISO, and you'll find the book. And it has an audio version. This one is only about an hour and a half on audiobook. It's only 80 pages long. I, I mean, I go straight to the point of what you, what you are going to do and what you need to know as an ISO. Now, keep in mind, this, this has a lot of... This is very deep material, but I just wanted to boil it down to exactly what you need to know. And that was the purpose of it. This one here is about 200 pages, and this goes into each one of the control families. But again, I'm going straight to the point. If you were to write, if you were to put on paper every single control, there's over a thousand controls. You, it, It'd be as thick as a phone book, and you'd have to write the the letters really tiny. So there's a lot of information here. And what I'm doing is focusing on what you need to do if you're going into this field. Not this is a very niche market. Like not everybody needs this. You know, by the way, the other book I'm reading, will be a little bit more um, for more people. Somebody says, sorry to hear about your personal life. I went through that a while in the military. Really sucks. Had to start over financially a few times trying to change that. Yeah. Um, this it, It's a common thing. Like the last thing you need is additional problems. You know what I mean? Like money problems. Because I've been through this with money problems. And um, I'm not trying to... My life is good, guys. You don't have to feel sorry or pity for me. My life is good. And to be honest, it's going to get a lot better. Um, I... I wish my partner, my ex-partner, the best of luck. Like I wish her the best. And I'm not trying to say it be facetious. I'm not trying to be mean about it. I just know my life is going to continue to get better and better because the way the way that I work, um, I'm 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 in this, I'm in this to win. So um I I wish her the best. I like I didn't leave her with nothing. You know, I, I took I take care of her. Like we're we're still remain very close friends. Um, it's bittersweet, you know, because we still love each other, but it's like, we both have to move on. So, you know, it's, it's, it's personal stuff, but you know, I, I feel great about where my life is going. I know it's going to go, going to go really well. Um, somebody said, what do you think about ISO, um, ISO positions requiring a TS? Um, well, let's look at it. That's a great question. What do I think about ISO? A lot, some of them do, some of them uh, require a TS position, but what I want to do is is look at it. I mean, maybe the market has changed. I used to work in a couple positions as an ISO. As an ISO, I did. I've done one that only required a public trust. Um, I did one that required a secret, and I did one that required a TS clearance. I've done all three. Um, and recently I was in the private sector and I wasn't an ISO. I was, I was more a cybersecurity consultant. So it's completely different experience, but what do I think about TS, uh, top secret positions? Um, they tend to pay a little higher. Uh, you're usually going to be in a skiff of some sort, not my favorite place to work. A skiff is a secret compartmentalized, 
uh, facility. Um, and it's, it's like an Intel. I don't know if I got this GIF acronym right, but basically it's a place with no windows and, um, it sucks. <laughs> it usually has like shift work and stuff. I hate skiffs, man. But yeah, I've done all three. And um, it they tend to pay a little bit more for TS. Um for let me let me let me show you my screen here. So what I'm doing is I'm looking up for those who are listening. I'm looking up uh I, I gotta get used to this this new setup here. Gotta get used to this new setup. How do you how do you do the thing here? <laughs> anyway, okay, I'll just keep going. Uh, so what I did was I'm looking up on my screen. I'm looking up ND.com. I'm looking for ISO jobs. So if you look at just ISO jobs, a lot of these will have clearance or require a clearance. Many of these will require a clearance. Somebody said secret, secret compartmentalized information facility. Thank you. Thank you so much, Navi. I appreciate that. So yeah. Here's here's a, a job right here. Let's let's look at this first one here. It's a senior analyst cybersecurity and risk management ISO, right? ISO's ISO is a is a is one title for many different uh jobs. There's a lot of different job descriptions and stuff. Um says somebody said, okay, I got some skiff people on on TikTok. Man, TikTok doesn't it just always surprises me. Um somebody says, I think there's so much opportunity to for military people in the industrial security. Yes, that's absolutely true to ISO because it's very similar, right? Uh, SCI world is is desperate for people. No cell phones or anything in the skiff. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like it's <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, let's let's get back into our search here. Um, we're looking at this job here. I want to look at the what kind of clearance they need because a lot of these need uh, clearances. Somebody says, which book do I recommend? Um, if you're starting off from scratch, the 80-page book is for people who really don't know anything and you're starting off absolutely from nothing. Uh, the other one's for somebody who is already kind of in this space and wants to is wanting to know a little bit more about uh, NIST stuff. Like if you already have a NIST job, if you already are ISO, then um, SCI. Let me just put SCI clearance. Nothing, nothing. That's not right. I think I, I just because I put in ISO. I mean, I, I CIA, ISC, SCI. I mean, all right. Let me look up uh, top secret just to speed this up. The no. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Look at this. So these ten tend to pay a little bit more because, and the reason why they do is because it's it costs the organization money to get you that clearance. So that's why they're going to pay a little bit more. Um, it's harder to find these people. And also another thing is that uh, there's not a lot of people who have the clearance. So there it is right there. Active top secret clearance and eligible. And they really like vets for this. If you happen to have already been in the military and um, you're trying to get your feet wet and getting into uh, IT or cybersecurity is a great opportunity for you if you already have a top secret clearance because they'll sometimes take you and pay you a little bit more 
Then look at this. Oh, this is a manager position, but it's a hundred thousand to one hundred and fifty five thousand a year. Here's another one's eighty two. That North Grumman eighty two to one hundred twenty three thousand a year. Um, yeah, that clearance that clearance will get you six figures uh, without a management. By the way, without a lot of experience and without management, you can get to six figures, especially if you live in um, certain parts of the United States, uh, Colorado. There's a couple places that lend themselves to a higher amount of money for especially for ISO jobs. And one of them is um, just some of the places that you can more easily get a security clearance jobs would be uh, Colorado. Is one of them because there's so many bases here. Another one is um, Maryland, Virginia, and DC, also known as DMV area. So those are that's three more states. That's four states. Uh, Texas, Plano, Texas is like a tech hub in the United States. So that that's a really good one that I, I get offers from there all the time. Uh, Tex Texas is actually a huge market right now. It's blowing up right now, but Plano, Texas in particular, is hot. Um, there's other ones like Austin and, and Dallas Fort Worth and stuff, but Plano, Texas has the most, um, in my, from what I've seen. And then another one's California, parts of California, mostly Southern California, like LA, San Diego has some, cause they've got a bunch of Navy bases there. You'll notice like a lot of them are, um, a lot of them are associated with the federal government in some way, shape or form. And so that's why those those areas that have bases or those areas that have uh, that have three letter organizations like the FBI or CIA or whatever, DHS or whoever, like those ones are the ones that are going to have the most ISO information security or cybersecurity type jobs from what I've seen. So just uh, some words of wisdom there. Um, let me see. Um, I got some. So Skiff Lampseeker says for a Skiff SCI sure loves to put it ISOs through polygraph as much as yearly. <laughs> Man, the polygraph. You guys, has anybody ever been through a polygraph test? I've never been through a polygraph test. My friend told me about it. And after he told me, I was like, Man, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing I am not doing that. I guess they ask you, they put you on the polygraph test. So this is for there's a clearance called uh S. Top secret SEI poly lifestyle. And that what that means is you're getting a <laughs> MD said, oh yeah, SCI. <laughs> so um, yeah, so what they do is you're going for a top secret clearance, right? So they got to do this extensive background check that goes back like 10 years or whatever, 14, whatever it is, 10 years, seven years, something like that. And then you've got to do this, this this sheet called Equip. And Equip is like 30 pages of your entire life. Every People you know, everywhere you've lived for the past seven years, jobs you've had for the past seven years. You got to fill that out, right? Um, I fill it out. I'll probably fill that thing out like 10 times. So um, I recently filled it out and saw my old stuff in there. I've done it like I have done that thing like Six times. I've done it like six times. Ten is an exaggeration. I've done it like six. So anyway, and the military is probably is probably three or four more anyway. So neither here nor there. You got to do this 30 page document. Then 
SF86, 10 years plus. Yeah, this, these people know what the hell I'm talking about. It's crazy to talk to people who know what I'm talking about. It's like I feel like I'm crazy because nobody else goes through this kind of stuff. Anyway, so they, they have you fill out this long-ass document and tons of documents, by the way. I've, I've done this so many times on fast. I'm like, shh, shh, shh. I know where I've lived for the last seven years. But the first time you do it, it takes you like, it might take you a day to do it. I mean, it's crazy. So anyway, so yeah, so you, they have you do that. Then they literally, they're not just telling you they're going to do a background check for top secret. They're literally talking to people you put on that form. They are literally, I've had my my mom and, and my friends call me and say, hey man, like some dude came and was asking questions about you. My, they asked my neighbor. One time they interviewed my neighbor about me. They They went across the street. And talk to my neighbor about me. This was all for top secret clearance. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Yeah. So, so this it's real. So you got to fill out this 30 page document. Then they they're literally going to do a background check and check your finances. They're going to check your if you've ever had a bankruptcy, if you had a criminal background, if you've ever if you've ever been to jail, if you've ever had a ticket, if you've then they're going to interview people you know, not just people from work. Like people, you family, friends, neighbors, who is this guy? Do you know anything about this? Do you know if they've ever been involved with a terrorist organization? Do you know like weird ass questions? On top of all of that, the poly adds a whole nother level because then you have an interview with them. You sit down, they hook you up to a polygraph test, and then they ask you a bunch of weird ass questions. Have you ever had sex with animals before? Have you ever stolen anything in your entire life? You're on a polygraph test, mind you. Have you ever had uh, have you ever had homosexual activity? Have you ever had homosexual thoughts? Have you ever done like they're asking you personal things and then they're they're seeing <laughs> what if you're going to lie about it? You know what I mean? So and my buddy was telling me like, man, I was I was sweating because I was like, damn, I've ever stolen anything. And he says, I one time stole something from Blockbuster Video <laughs> and he was nervous to say yes. <laughs> Oh my God. Crazy. I will I will never. I don't I don't think I'll ever want to do that. I think I'd rather just go work at Walmart or something. Um I just don't know if I want to do that. Uh let me see. So I'm getting a lot of people talking about this one. They really go and talk to and interview your uh their references, neighbors, teachers, and friends. Yeah, for top secret, they definitely did. And actually for secret, they did that to me once too. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, public trust uh, is a little less intrusive, but man, the secret and the top, especially the top secret, they literally, they're literally, they are literally talking to your neighbors, your references, your friends. Yeah, every everybody. Like I, I know this because they'll come back and say, "Hey, there's some some guy came was asking questions and stuff," and then they actually sat down and interviewed me without the polygraph. They actually interviewed me, and one time. I was going for a TS clearance and um, they called me. I was in Colorado and, and they said, hey, we want to schedule a, te uh, a interview with you. Like, do you have time to sit? I said, well, I'm actually I can't do it this week because I'm, I'm going to be in California visiting my family. And they said, no, nah, we'll just send somebody there to California. I was like, for real? So they had an agent in California meet me to talk to me and interview me. I was like, this is no wonder it costs so much money. I mean, they were serious, man. Somebody else said um, they went through. <laughs> I went through the same 
the same thing, except they decided to help my family commit insurance fraud. Oh, my Lord. Holy crap. Except they decided to help my, oh, my Lord. Okay, I don't know if I should read that on stream. <laughs> uh, so I said, the best one is when they, they ask references uh, for more people to interview, right? And they did, and they did that. You did not list. Yeah, so they want to catch you with your pants down. So like, oh, okay, I see you listed this person. I'm going to ask this person about anybody else you knew, and then I'm going to go interview that person. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I've had all that stuff happen to me, you know. So, you know, I, I have to really think of like, just to give you an example, like, I don't know if I'm if I'm saying too much information here, but I'm in Colorado, you know, and and this was one of the first states to legalize marijuana and um, marijuana. And uh, what's the other one? Um, what's the. It's not marijuana. It's an extract from marijuana. It's man, I don't, man, my brain is freaking fried. It is stuff that puts you to sleep. It's nothing. There's no THC in it. Um, and I know when you guys know what I'm talking about anyway, so that stuff is legal here and they, they might even legalize, uh, psilocybin mushrooms here. And I have to think about that. Like I, any CBD. Yeah. Thanks. MD C CBD. My Lord, man, something's wrong with me. CBD. Um, yeah, they legalize that in Colorado. That's totally legal. There's no problems with it here. Like, you, you can just go, go to a place. Like I know it's starting to open it up everywhere else, but this been here. It's been legal here for years, man. And I'm like, damn, like I should maybe I should try because I'd never tried it before. But because I'm working for federal government and stuff, I'm always have to think about it. I always have to be like, hmm, am I gonna get this job? Because they they piss they will piss test you. You will go to a urine test. You will go to a urine test. It's just a matter of time. So I'm like, damn, like I have to actually think about that if I'm going for any kind of government jobs you know so something to think about something to think about because it's it's legal i i i suspect that eventually the u.s federal government is about to legalize it it's it's coming but it's not here yet because you know biden just said something about making it so that the the uh the felt of anybody who has a felony or or misdemeanor or whatever federal crime that where you had marijuana or had possession of it they're dropping that which is which is great i think it's great but that's the first step and i believe that was one of the first steps that they did in colorado as well they they started to expunge the records they started to uh lighten the load like anybody who had any kind of marijuana charges they start dropping those charges that's the first thing they did and then like a year later they legalized it boom legalized it recreational like oh yeah the first and then the second step they did was they made it medicinal say okay if you if you have use it for medicinal uses you can go ahead and use it you know cbd is okay right and if you got to have this card or whatever and then the, the last step was that they made it recreational you don't have to have a card you just have to have uh, you don't have to have anything you just have have to be 21 years old and go in and show your your um license i know you guys are like man bruce you're oddly specific <laughs> yes i am as a matter of fact uh let me say somebody said uh um yeah ts cost the government between three and five k if i recall yeah i heard it was like 
uh, anywhere from five to ten k actually, and the secret clearance was about five, three to five k. If but I could be mistaken. And he says, but uh, it will affect your clearance. Absolutely, it absolutely will. A, a buddy of mine didn't get his TS over gummies. Yeah, yeah, yep. Until the federal government says uh, it's okay, uh, it's something I have to think about all the time. You know, I'm like, nah, I'm, you know, I'm good. Like. Especially if I'm going for a job, like within a four month period, I'm like, ah, I gotta, gotta not not mess with anything right now. And he says, uh, I tried to help him fight it, but, uh, but they stood it. They they yeah, man. I I don't know. The federal government needs to really lighten up on that. Um, alcohol's in my mind is 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 as destructive, if not more, than marijuana and gum, especially CBD. I mean, gum CBD is actually. When I, I, you know, and initially I thought it was so bad, but I did my research. I'm like, damn, you know, it's, it's not that bad. It's not, it's alcohol is a lot more destructive, really. But neither here nor there until the federal government lets it go. Um, you, you've got, if you're going to work for the federal government, you got to, you, you got to be, you got to be careful. That's all I'm going to say. Um, somebody said, I've seen the application questions only ask for the use for the use in the last 90 days. Oh, okay, okay. Is that what they're doing now? Uh, so they are so they are getting softer on the requirements. Yeah, because it used to be never. <laughs> it used to be never. It used to be you you have never used anything, which is completely stupid. I mean, in this day and age. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But yeah, now it's 90 days. I've heard it was like four months. Yeah, three, four months of use like as long as it's not because at, at that point i think after four months it's no longer in your system even if they test by hair because your hair if they test by your hair i think it goes way back but they don't test by hair they, te they test by urine so after a few months it's not in, it's not even in your system anymore it's out it's gone so 90 days might be might be correct i heard it was four months but could be wrong Yeah, I, I think it's a stupid, it's so dumb. Like it's literally medicinal for some people. So I don't I don't understand why the federal government haven't hasn't done it. And it's it's also put on schedule one. It's 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 seen, it's portrayed as a schedule one drug, which is up there with like marijuana and heroin. I mean, that's just dumb. That does not make any sense to put marijuana on the same list as heroin and 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 cocaine you know it doesn't make sense um but until the federal government approves it it looks like they're going to do it soon uh that you but you know how slow they are so they're already they're starting with the records the next thing is going to be okay if you have a card and it's medicinal then okay that's cool and then the last one the last step will be recreational what really sucks in my opinion like could kind of go off topic here in my opinion, what really sucks about the whole thing with marijuana is that is that Canada has has a five is going to have a like a five year lead on businesses because they already have international businesses in Canada because Canada's already legalized it and made it so that organizations there can flourish around the world and they're they're sending their product here. In legal states and have already established themselves and already are publicly traded in Canada. So what that means is 
they have a five-year lead on organizations, on corporations. Anybody who wants to incorporate and do everything legally, they're at a disadvantage because they can only operate within their state unless they get bought by Canada. Where it's just it all they did was hurt Americans like regular mess. All they that's all that law does. It doesn't hurt anybody but regular Americans who are trying to actually do something with their life. You know, it just sucks, man. Somebody said, I know a guy who was working on a base for three years and got walked off because he had he had a marijuana he had marijuana uh from 20 years ago. Wow, man. Yeah, it's just it doesn't make any sense. Um, I mean, you definitely would not want to have that on base as paranoid as the base is. Um, they were throwing people in jail when I mean in freaking jail, getting kicked out. I mean, it, it was a no-no. Like one of my actually somebody I know who he was in the military and he used it. He was in Amsterdam. I don't know if you ever been to Amsterdam, but holy crap. If you if you ever get a chance to go before you die, it's worth seeing. So anyway, he got stationed and he was unlucky enough to get stationed there. And uh he he smoked marijuana and or was I think he was selling it, something crazy. And which is so stupid, especially this was 20 years ago. So, you know, they <laughs> they kicked him out. Needless to say, he got kicked the hell out. I don't know why. Like I would never. They they put the fear of God in us. Like about that. Like you would. I would never even think about doing some stuff like that. Like I would not. In the military, man. There's so many examples I saw. People. No way. No. I know how strict the federal government is on that stuff. I don't know why you would try to tempt fate. I don't know why you would do that. And there's always somebody there because what happened with them is that, number one, you're in Amsterdam, so everybody's suspect. It was legal there. You know, even 20 years ago, it was legal. So these are young kids. These are young, you know, 20, 19-year-old, 23-year-old young guys, young young people. And uh, it's legal there, and somebody is going to try it. So they were already – testing everybody and then and then you're hanging out with somebody who's gonna tell and then i think that's what happened to him like that's you know somebody said yeah risk a dishonorable discharge so crazy why would you do that why would you risk you go into the your you you put your life on the line to go into the military where you can you you have to go through basic training and then like four or five months or eight months of of training additional training on top of your four weeks training or whatever it is. If you happen to be a Marine, it's even longer. And then you're going to, you're going to tempt fate by messing around with drugs, man. And knowing how much the federal government, how hard they are on it back then, 20 years ago, I don't know what he was thinking. Even then, like when I was in the military, I was like, man, what, what were you, why did you do that? You know how they roll. And this dude was a cop. He was, he was security forces. I don't know what he was saying. They put the fear of God in us. They scared the hell. Of, you didn't even want to be around somebody who was doing marijuana in the military. You didn't even want to breathe the same air as somebody who had the smoke in, in their lungs, man. I'm telling you, they put the fear of God in us. So I don't know what he was thinking. Says Amsterdam is so dangerous because they infuse everything with uh, THC and CBD. Wow. I didn't I didn't know that uh, I, I went to Amsterdam as a as a uh, contractor and um, 
<laughs> I didn't use anything. I was too paranoid. I mean, but one of my one of my coworkers did. I was like, dude, you're you're a brave man. <laughs> but I mean, it's a contractor, so he didn't get caught or anything. Amazing place though. Yeah. Amsterdam is incredible. Like it was it was great to see. I don't I don't think I would want to live there, but it was it was it was a beautiful place. It was it was great. Europe as a whole is like a beautiful experience. Like it's it's so amazing. Like I I miss it. I would like to go back and visit. I don't I, I don't want I wouldn't want to live in Europe. Me personally. I mean, I've been to Italy a couple times. Italy's a little bit too uh, how do I put this politically correct? <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings in this day and age, but it's it's not for me. I'll just put it to you that way. You know, they don't they don't like people who look African. Let's put it to you that way. <laughs> and that was just my experience. It might be different for people who are over six feet tall, but I I'm I am not six feet tall, so they didn't think I was a basketball player or anything. But I did, I did have a good experience there. The the food was amazing. The women were some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. The people were some of the most beautiful, physically beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. You just walking around and and people I've never races I've never seen before were there. Gypsies. They were beautiful people. Like I'm, I don't think they're calling them gypsies. That, that might be a derogatory term. I, I don't know the proper. They were gorgeous people. I was like I've never seen a person who looks like that. You know they they had people that I'd never seen humans, races of people I've never seen before. And I was, I was blown away at place and people dress really nice. It was, it was really good. It was really good. They, people give me the stink eye because I look like I'm cause you know, cause I'm part Congo or some shit. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't too happy that I was there. They were like, get the, but, but actually one person I did when I was going through the second time I went, or was it this? I don't can't remember. But I was going through, and somebody was like, was so happy to see me, right? Because I'm that I'm a black, that I'm an American, and I'm black. And he's like, what? He was like so excited, like I was a celebrity. He was like, have you ever heard of Snoop Dogg? I was like, uh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he started like he was practicing his English on me and stuff. And that that was kind of that was a great experience. And. Yeah, so I, I would like to visit, but I, I would not want to live there. And then I've been to Germany. Um, it was it was cool. Like I, I really like Europe. I loved it. Somebody said uh, lived in Italy for three years, traveled all over the place, and uh, there so much big immigration problems from Africa. Yeah, I figured that that they don't like dark skin as much. Yeah, that's that was my experience MD. So, I think that that's what they thought, you know. It's it's kind of like the same issue we have here with um people from Mexico, which I, you know, for me personally, I love I love people from Mexico. I, I love his uh, Mexican people, like the culture. I think that should be a lot more easy for people to come here and work you know, and stuff, but some, there's a lot of people here who do not want that. And I'm not trying to make this a political, this is just my personal opinion. I, I am not of the mind that it's bad when I see somebody from Mexico here working or whatever, you know, they're just trying to make a living like everybody else, but it's the same thing in Italy. In Italy, they have a huge immigration problem with people from Africa. So when they saw me, they were like, get the hell. They just had this just every now and then, I can only imagine how it is to be African walking around with one of their, with a woman, with an Italian woman. It must be hard. 
it must be it must be hard because uh, yeah it must be hard uh let me see somebody said uh, i'm a contractor now for the for the air force but i still i'm still scared man i'm telling you uh man they put the fear of god in me man i, I to this day i'm still afraid I'm not even in the military anymore. <laughs> it's legal here in this state. And I'm still paranoid about using it. I'm like, damn, they put the fear of God in us, man. Like, I, there was zero tolerance, man. They, they destroy people's lives over that. I mean, the people destroy their own life because they told us what, you know, what's going to happen. And then people would do it anyway. I'm like, what? Why did you do that? Why? What kind of peer pressure made you destroy your whole life? I'm like, damn. And now that I'm out, like all the benefits you get once you get out, I'm like, what is, man, they lost all that. <sighs> Being young, young and dumb, man. I want to go to UK, though. That's one of the places I, re I would really like to go, UK. I don't know. I just, UK, London, and, and all that kind of stuff is, is a place I've always wanted to go. And uh, what other place I want to go in Europe? I've been to Liechtenstein. I've been to Germany a few times. I've been to Italy. Um, where else have I been? I've been through France, but it doesn't really count because I was flying through there. Oh man, where else have I been? I've been to, I've been to like fifteen different countries. It's been great, man. And recently, I've gone to a couple other countries. Uh, and I'm about to go uh, next year to some countries. Uh, I'm getting some, some, some of my old people who used to follow me on here. <laughs> uh, Hey Andy, how you doing? Hey, uh, Andy and, uh, who else was on here? Daryl Charity. Daryl Charity. How you doing, man? Andy, how you doing, man? How you doing? Like this people I haven't talked to in a long time. It's been a minute. How you doing? Uh, Scandinavia is a must really Scandinavia. So I only place I've been to that's close to that area is uh, is Amsterdam and Amsterdam was was really nice to it was it was a really nice thing to see. The people there are super tall, man. I I felt like I felt like a dwarf there. I felt like a little person. Like I'm I'm 5'8", but I felt like I was people at the average height of women was 5'8". The average height of dudes was like 6'2". They they, I remember I was with a group of dudes who are who one dude, my our boss, was about he was about five, five, four. <laughs> our boss, like he's great dude. And then uh I was with two other dudes that are over six feet tall. And we were walking around and there a group of kids walked past us because they were all in like, you know, like uh student clothes, and they were all taller than they were all taller than all of us. And we looked at them like, what the, f <laughs> what's happening here? And even the tall dudes that I was with, they were like, <laughs> what's, what's going on? I never felt this short in my life. <laughs> it's like, welcome to the short club, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was crazy. That was wild, man. The women, the women were tall. I was like, damn, like you didn't see too many short women there. And uh, I remember one tall blonde chick was flirting with me. I'm like, what? What do you want with me? <laughs> that was that was crazy, man. Man, Scandinavia was great. That was 
that was great. Yeah, that was that was incredible. Somebody said, "Okay, I'm driving. Where's my Yuri?" LOL. Happy to see you. Uh, Yuri's doing fine. She is single. You should contact her. <laughs> Yuri is a single person. You should go you should go check her out. Um yeah, Europe Europe was great, man. My my favorite place is um my favorite place is Southeast Asia. I just like the culture. I like the cult. It's just different. You know what I mean? Like it is cheaper to live there and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's fine. Uh, but Southeast Asia, the culture, the the mindset's different. I just I don't know. I just I, for some reason, my favorite's probably Thailand. Thailand was ama- is amazing. Like the people there are so nice. They're so sweet. They're very nice and very courteous, very very open. Um, I I haven't had a bad experience there. Um, overall, it's been really good. And then Philippines is is also pretty cool. Um, but my favorite place so far has been Thailand. Um, just the whole attitude there is is amazing. I don't know if it's Buddhism that does that. I'm not sure like why people are people are are cool there. I'm not sure. Uh, let me see. Somebody said, uh, "Have you come across?" Have you come across a lot of overseas ISO positions aside from military bases? Um, overseas ISO positions. Um, yeah, yes, yes. I, as a matter of fact, I used to work. I used to work in a couple. Oh, aside from military bases, no, <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Uh, I know that they exist though, because actually, the last job I was at was a cybersecurity consultant position, and we had people who were in. Argentina, Colombia. We had somebody in Japan. We had somebody in uh, Germany. We had some. We were trying to get somebody in Australia, uh, and possibly we could have gotten somebody in Canada. So we had we had our organization had people working, but they they were cybersecurity consultants. And what we consulted on was doing conducting assessments for banks and um, retail stores and like. Um, just different organizations would use us as assessors and we would go ahead and do assessments for them. So, um, yeah, so there's jobs. It's probably not going to be an ISO position, uh, but there's compliance, uh, positions. There's compliance for compliance for like DSS, PSI, uh, PSI, PCI, DSS. Uh, there's, there's compliance positions for um i know that i knew one guy who was doing compliance for a bank in in the philippines and he had a six-month position for a bank in the philippines doing compliance i believe he was doing like sarbanes oxley or something um so the answer to your question absolutely but not iso they won't call themselves iso it'll be like security compliance consulting cybersecurity consulting things like that um, I'm trying to think of other, I know so many other positions. Um, a big one is ISO 27001. That's a big one because that's an international standard that a lot of countries use. Um, I know that some countries in Africa use that one. Uh, a lot of European countries use that one. Um, I want to say some Southeast Asian countries use it. 
So that's a big one. But but for ISO 27th, I mean, ISO work, information system security officer work is mostly this stuff here, this NIST 800 stuff is going to be mostly in the United States. The, the crazy thing is, if you know this, a lot of other countries refer to uh, NIST 800, which is crazy. I, I didn't know that, but that, that's pretty crazy. Um, somebody said, did you like consulting the consulting position? I had someone reach out to me and asking if I want I was interested. RMF NIST consulting. Absol absolutely. I, I personally liked it. Um, I personally liked it because it really it allowed me to like spread my wings a little bit and 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 um, exercise my full experience because we were doing we were doing like 13 different assessments. So I got to do wireless assessments. I got to do, and this is like a different kind of thing, but consulting, the consulting mindset is different. And so what I really liked about it is the bill. I was basically doing what I'm doing here. Like I'm, I was presenting stuff and I happen to be pretty good at it, especially with an organization. Um, and I, I didn't know how good I was. And I think it's because of YouTube. I've been doing YouTube so long that I just, it's, it just comes natural to me now. And I, I would do that for organizations and man, I was killing it. And so I actually liked consulting. I, what I didn't like was the travel because I'd have to travel to some of the clients. And, but I, what I loved about it, and this might be different for NIST, you wouldn't have to do all this stuff, but for NIST, uh, you'd be doing, you'd be doing policies and procedures and things like that. And so that would be dope, especially if it's remote, um, remote consulting. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be incredible. But, uh, I was doing assessments. So I was doing uh, wireless. I was doing physical assessments. I was doing uh, I was doing policy assessments. I was doing um, procedures. I was doing. Um, oh, man, what else? We we're doing uh, uh, DMZ scans. We we're doing external scans. We we're doing all these different assessments, uh, phishing assessments, all that kind of stuff. So. I, I really I really enjoyed it. It'll be a lot of meetings and in um, stuff like this. If you can if you can like interact with people really well, then it it was great, man. I had no idea I would like it, and I ended up really liking it a lot. Is it, it was just a travel out? That was why I had to go back to go back to my roots. I just couldn't do it because of all the stuff that happened to my um, me personally over the last year. Somebody says, "What a divorce?" Yeah, man, it was a divorce. <laughs> How's the little girls? Uh, they're doing good, man. Like if things have turned around and just, you know, I, I don't really want to make this a personal. I don't really want to. That's something I do on my other channel. If I ever open that channel back up again, um, I'll talk about it, you know, but uh, I, I haven't really been able to talk about it. You know what I mean? It was it was very personal. And and I still we still love each other a lot. You know, we, we're still very much in contact with one another. And to be honest with you, you might we might even get back together someday. It's It's that it's that crazy, man. You know, so I, you know, don't, nothing to be sad about, nothing to be, you know, we, it's just that we had to grow, keep growing and we just grew apart over time and stuff. And the reason why, like, this audience is not for this topic. <laughs> just, I just happen to, people are asking me about it. So, you know, I don't really want to talk about it too much. Um, if, if you want to know personal details, just email me, you know, it's, it's pretty personal and it's, it's very, it's still emotional after one year. I've been divorced for one year. And uh, we still are very, very close. She's she, she's my best friend. I you know she's she remains my best friend. My you know I 
really we really love each other and uh that that will transcend a piece of paper you know so we we started a bunch of businesses together those are still going uh we we got a bunch of assets together and stuff like that so you know it is what it is andy um but i wish her the best and uh and all and you guys should too like all the people who follow me from the other channel should wish her the best wish both of us the best and who knows maybe i'll 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 get back with her and uh <laughs> and i'll have three wives or something i don't i have no idea i'll be a polygamist uh let me see somebody said <laughs> somebody said uh makes sense your european companies uh word uh let me see word positions different um i've noticed yes 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 european countries word positions different i mean really each organization words them differently and they have gdrp which is very strict yes yep and they have uh a gdrp is a privacy standard that they have that's way stricter than anything the u.s has and to be honest with you it's we sh the u.s should have should protect their people a little bit better for privacy and gdrp wasn't was an effort to do that so um so somebody said uh well, before I keep going, let me let me keep going with this one before I move on. Um, yeah, European countries. Like, let's let's look at. Uh, let me see if I can find some some GDRP positions. GDRP. This has been a big one lately, um, and there's been a couple of privacy standards that have come out recently. Um, where if you know this stuff, and there's one for California. California has their own standard. Here it is right here, some GDRP positions that I'm looking up on Indeed.com. And here's one for a cybersecurity GRC manager. And they're, they're expecting you to know GR, G, G, GDRP. And um, there's one for um, cookie management expert. And that's probably for a website where GDRP would come up. Uh, there's one for cybersecurity analyst hybrid. And the reason why... If you're wondering why, like Home Depot or whoever has to have GDRP is because if they have an organ, if they have a site that's in a European country, if they're doing business for a European country, then GDRP would be would be necessary. So that's why you would that's one case where you would have GDRP as an example and why you would need to know it. And if California has there, it's called CCDA or something. I can't remember what it's called, but California has one too. In California. Uh, if you had an organization that worked and had a site in that work in California, you would have to know that standard to it's a privacy standard to to meet their that state's uh, privacy issues. Um, let me see. Somebody said, um, I mean, Utah is right next door, so you can move there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you mean about having multiple wives? I mean, yeah, yeah, I could, I could do that. <laughs> it's just not something I should be talking about on this, on anywhere, on on planet Earth. But there you go. There's a joke for you, a joke that might actually be true. As far as you know, it's not real. So whatever. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I think you could go full time into teaching and consulting, making consistent income marketing um seems like seems like it'll be a challenge so this navi man this is this is a great great introduction to uh to a topic so I actually tried it 
So the four months that I was, the four months that I was uh, not working after everything happened personally, you know, went through all this stuff and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't travel. I just, I was so stressed out and I'm doing this consulting gig and I've, I've got difficult customers I'm dealing with, with, with the job I was working. I worked in, I worked in Verizon. I was working at Verizon. Great place to work, by the way. The cybersecurity unit there was incredible. The people I met were were amazing. Some of the smartest people I've ever met that worked there. Their skill sets were incredible. I learned so much from these guys, and I really miss those guys actually. But um, I left that company, and um, they offered me a sabbatical. I was like, Nah, I can't. I can't do. It. I know I can't come back and travel. So I actually went off on my own. I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna do teaching. I'm going to do consulting. I'm going to do one-on-ones. I'm going to do – and I actually, it was doing all okay because the streams of incomes that I created were enough for me to actually live on. Now, here's the crazy part. What I couldn't afford was my healthcare stuff. Healthcare was too much. I got a kid that needs constant care, and it was too, it was too expensive for me to, to – I could not survive on what I was making. Now, I was making pretty good money. So uh, it's it was hard, man. It was it was too difficult. It was too much money for me to afford to live on an income with my two kids as a single father. And it's just it's it sucks because I could have kept going had the had the healthcare stuff not stopped me. Now I've got to go back to work. And it's not, you know, and not be honestly in the future, maybe it'll be something realistically that I could do. Because actually, as I was doing that, I, I found a couple other opportunities that might be more realistic for me to do that. So um, I, I made a run. I made a go at it. Um, what I learned is I got to make about twice as much in order to, to afford the health care in this country. And I, I actually, before I did, I actually thought about even moving to another country because on based on the income streams that I do have, without a job, I could totally live in another country and that's crazy i could live in anywhere in southeast asia with the exception of me no no i could pop i could live anywhere in southeast asia wow i mean there's probably a couple said maybe maybe not singapore but i could live anywhere in southeast i make enough for my businesses and stuff to where i could do it i've, I've got i've got real estate that has a steady income i've got um, this, this little thing I do here selling the books actually are doing pretty good. Who knew my courses are paying. Um, so I could live, I could live somewhere in Southeast Asia, but my, you know, I've got to stay here and, um, take care of the kids. So I don't want to, I, I don't think, I don't know that they would do well over there, you know, not yet. So. Uh, we'll we'll get there one day, you know what I mean. My my first priority is my is my kids, so that's that's what I'm doing here, and uh, I'm not really trying to rush to go anywhere right now, anyway. So, uh, somebody said, um, uh, Bruce, you're cooler, brother. You're a cool older brother. So I'm sorry to hear that. I wish her and you the best, regardless. But I I see good things coming your way. God does, um, doesn't. Um, doesn't desert the good. I appreciate your words, man. I, that really means a lot to me. Um, I I know I know things are are gonna go are already going much better, man. Um, 
it was to be honest with you it was a, it was a really rough time man because uh if you ever watched any of those videos we did that that's that was real that was not staged that was not fake that was everything i said was real everything she said was real and proof proof of that was all the stuff we went through together so and that's not that's something i'll talk about on another channel when i'm ready when i'm emotionally when she's ready too because that's another reason why i haven't i haven't posted there and why i suspended the account so um yeah but thank you for your words man i really appreciate everybody who who followed me on that other channel and i will i will be releasing something about it but right now and for those of you who don't know what the hell i'm talking about i had this other channel and uh, it was it got it was much bigger than this one um with my ex-wife and uh we were very close and uh we had this huge fan base it was it was so crazy that sometimes i would go to another state or somewhere and some people would recognize me at from that other channel and um it uh we got a divorce and um here i am on convocourses.com <laughs> crazy right um but it that was a year ago we got a divorce and i'm 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 okay i'm doing all right um emotionally i'm i'm much better i still we still miss each other we still care about each other but it's time to move on with our lives you know what i mean so and i really wish her the best i don't have no no ill will towards her whatsoever uh navi says uh if you go poly you can make a new channel and uh discuss the the and live off the youtube <laughs> you think so you oh you i thought you meant i thought you meant a a uh, lifestyle polygraph test, man. You mean you mean having multiple wives? You know, I shouldn't have brought that up because <laughs> now now it's gonna be a running joke on this channel. People are gonna be bringing it up. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll do that. That that'll be that'd be an interesting show to watch. Sister wives part two. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, somebody said Navi said good point. Good point on healthcare. Um, I'd leave the government. Um, I'll be leaving the government, and we'll and we'll get to keep my insurance. Huge benefits in the military and retirement. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's huge, man. Um, it, I can't understate how important it is, especially in the U.S. Um, outside of the the Department of Defense, outside of the DoD uh, and federal government, it's it's rough, man. It's rough. Like uh, more power to the the Congress people because they got lifetime health care. You know, Congress and, and Senate do. But me having served in two different combat situations have don't. I don't have health care. Crazy, right? Crazy how that works. But hey, I'm not bitter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been rough out here, man. Like it's it's no joke for if you don't have health care, man, it's 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 ridiculous. I don't I don't know why Americans put up with it, to be honest with you. I don't know why. One time I did a video about it, it was 15 second video on 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 this on YouTube, on YouTube and on TikTok. 15 second video joking about it. I made like a little joke. I cannot tell you like the hatred I got for me just complaining about the healthcare system. I don't know why like Americans are so brainwashed here that our healthcare system is good. Like I don't the infrastructure is there, but there, it I'm talking about accessibility. Like it's hard to access because the money because there's something going on where they keep, it keeps going up. It's not keeping with it's way beyond the rate of inflation. Like it's 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 a runaway. It's kind of like the student 
universities are also having experience in the same thing. Insurance, universities, and healthcare, healthcare insurance, it's, it's not keeping up with regular inflation. It's way beyond what it should be. And we haven't been paid. Our, the rate of pay that people make. If if I, a person who makes 100000 a year, is having problems with this, imagine what another person is having to go through. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. And then we are continuously voting for people who are okay with this, who are okay with this. And then not only that, but these guys are attacking me for even mentioning it, for even mentioning that I had a problem with it. Somebody came online and started attacking me about it. I'm like, what? we're screwed, man. Like that in that area, we're screwed. The U.S., uh, somebody said, uh, even with healthcare in America, it's hard. It's just so expensive. I'm always paying so much out. Exactly. And after paying insurance, it makes me mad. I have a special needs kid and it's and it's crazy. I have the same thing, man. Like I have the same issue going on. Like it's especially especially um, uh, mental health care. There's no there's no mental health. The, the structure here is broken, man. I don't know what to say. Like it's it, that was the hardest part about this whole thing. That was the hardest part. I, I have a I have a special needs kid who who has there's mental issues involved. Like it, I could not get any coverage. I could not get any coverage. I was paying direct. I'm still paying directly out of pocket for this stuff, and I couldn't. I have a bit. My business makes more than most Americans, and I could not afford to continue to do this. Where I'm helping people get into this field for free, and. uh it's sad, man. It's just sad. You know, it's just sad. Now I'm going back to work, which is which is cool. You know, I'm going to make a, a lot of money doing this. So that's fine. But it's just the healthcare system. Accessibility to the healthcare system here is what's the pro is the problem. And um, I I saw something where United Health United United Health is, is doing something with Medicare or something. I don't know. I got to look into it. They're doing this huge push for it, but it's bad, man. I, I don't, it's, it is bad here. MD said, worst medical system on, in the, on the planet. Um, it's better healthcare, it's better care in Mexico. Even some companies in Southern California have healthcare programs across the border. It's insane. Yes, it's broken. It's broken here. Um, that's, I, you know, it sucks because I like being in the U.S., but if this keeps going on, I don't know that I, you know, I don't know that I'll stay here. Uh, so if there's something else I can do, like if there's some other place since they don't want to change the laws here, they don't want to fix things for a average Americans, I, I'll leave. You know, and I'm being serious. Like, I'm a man of my word. I will I will leave. And it's too bad because I, I like the freedom of it. I like the freedom of America. I like some of what the U.S. stands for, you know, as far as a freedom of speech. And um, it's just that one. It's broken here. It's just it doesn't work, man. And um, I, I don't know what to say. I the crazy thing is, like. It was an eye opener. The I worked for for Verizon and they had some of the best health care I've ever had before. They had the Cadillac of. Healthcare. I never had to worry about 
my kids getting sick. I didn't have to worry about my, my, my special needs kid. None of that. I was good. And then when I left that job, man, it was like a mortgage payment. And sometimes more than that for medical care. And, um, couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I already have a mortgage payment. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, it's bad. I don't know what we're going to do about it. I don't, I don't have a solution. Um, and it, and it seems like our legislative branch also don't have a solution. That, and that's the sad part. Um, I think in, in Colorado, they were trying to do some kind of Medicare for Colorado or something like that. Some kind of Medicare for all type system here where I don't know where it happened with that, but they were real serious about it for some time. And I thought they, they would get it through, but I don't know whatever happened to that. Um, Navi said, good point on medical. Okay, I think he already, already did that one. Um, it says, definitely understand making kids the priority. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody said, I'm paying 125 for one session of mental health because it's it isn't covered by insurance for my kid. Yeah. So I've got one, one that's 120. Uh, one that's 160 and one that's 200. And luckily, uh, the the healthcare the actual healthcare professional um, was working something out with me, and they lowered the cost. And I told them what situation I'm in. Like I'm in between jobs, you know. And they they lowered it, and it's still crazy, you know, because it's an hourly rate. So it's not, you know, if it's two hours, that's 125 per hour, you know. So per hour and the insurance won't cover it a lot of times like i have insurance i'm not foolish enough to be in this country with no insurance i got two kids right maybe for some kid who's 20 20 years old they don't have to worry about that i got two i got people i got to take care of so i have to have insurance all it takes is one broken arm and you're in europe in the hospital for two days with a pulmonary embolism i'm saying this because it should happen previously <laughs> in my life to somebody who i was you know, so yeah, I'm not going to be without insurance. I mean, because I know how high it can get. Like you're talking about, I there's people. It's and it's true stories. Like people who owe hundred thousand dollars for for some stuff to happen to them. Um, quick story. Um, I was in Italy, and I was working with another another American there. He was married. He was been in Italy for a long time. And he was married to a, a Italian lady. He got into a, a, a motorcycle accident, and um, he got into a motor accident, motorcycle, which is believable because they drive crazy in Italy. I don't know if whoever been there before, they drive super crazy. But he's on his motorcycle, braver than man to me. I would not be driving a motorcycle in freaking Italy. He he hits he he goes off the road, avoiding a car that was in his lane, and he flies off his bike, and he. Hits a tree and he ends up destroying his pelvis. Like he destroys that the joint that goes into your pelvis. He he it's destroyed, like shattered, and he broke his pelvis. So he was in the doc in the hospital, being hospitalized for months and months, right? And then it took him, I don't know, a year of recovery, a year, a year to because they had to replace the socket in his um, femur. They had to replace the femur. Uh, part the ball I don't the joint that goes into the hip they replace it with a metal piece and then they um he had to have like a couple years worth of therapy like uh physical therapy and all of that and he said 
He said he was terrified because he knew how much it was going to, he thought he knew how much it was going to cost. And when he asked him like, how much is this going to cost me? And they, he didn't have to pay for that. Somebody had to pay for it. You know, the Italian government has something in place to pay, to help pay for it. Now I don't know. I don't have the answers. Italian, their, their financial system's not great. You know, they're not in a great financial situation. Uh, but I'm just thinking to myself, like, there's got to be some answer that will allow the U.S. to to be to do well financially, but also take care of its people. There's got to be an answer. And I just don't think we have it right now. And that's just my personal opinion. I know how people want to make this political. I want to make want to, you know, I, I don't care, to be honest with who's who's in office. I just want to take care of people. Americans, I, I would like it would make more sense to take care of Americans. We got our own problems here. We got we got homeless people here. We've got a medical system that's broken. Why are we? I know I know Ukraine is messed up. I know that there's problems there, but we have serious problems here too. So, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't help Ukraine. I'm just saying that we should also help Americans. <laughs> so I'm, I know that's, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying, in my opinion, it would be great to help a couple of Americans, particularly the ones who serve this country. But that's that's just my opinion. Okay. So don't get upset. Don't get your feelings all hurt. I know everybody's so sensitive now nowadays. It's just an opinion, guys. So, you know, everybody has one. Nobody wants to hear them. Okay. Okay. Let me see. Somebody said, um, I may be interviewing for an ISO this week or next. Any suggestions for the prep? Yes. I got some preparation stuff for you to do. Okay. So let me let me first of all let me give you a couple of uh resources you can use to help you out with this cuz i i go through these all the time while i'm searching for this off the top of my head one of the things you want to say is that you're very very good with working for with difficult customers and then give them cite some examples write this down if you don't if you don't have a pen and paper ready you're going to you're going to want to say this okay you need to tell them that you're very good at working with difficult customers, difficult clients, and difficult coworkers, and then give them examples. Because in the ISO position, one of the best things that you need to have is a, is a, the ability to communicate, and you have to have a high level of emotional intelligence because you're going to be dealing with people from all the tiers within your organization, and you need to be able to speak to them in their language. I hope you're writing this down. These are things I've said that have got me many, many jobs doing ISO work. They're always impressed when I say these things. That's what you say. You say that you're you're very good at working with difficult customers, clients, and coworkers. And you've worked, you've you've communicated, you can communicate with all tiers of the organization, every part of the organization, from C level execs to managers, upper level managers, to people in the weeds, the technical people. And you want to tell them that you can communicate also with the customers, with the clients. That's what you want to tell them. These are these are things they want to know because with the reason why is because in interview, in in the in this position, you're gonna have to you're you're gonna have to answer some of these. Like you're 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 be you'll be put in a position where you have to communicate very, very effectively. And they want to know that you're up to that challenge. Okay. So here's here's what I want you to let me see if I can post this here for you. 
Let me see if I could post this for you. All right. So what I'm posting here for you is a video that I did. Now, there's there's actually a bunch of other videos of people who hmm, these are not. Okay, okay. There's I've done more than one video, okay, and there's a couple of other people who have who've done it, but you need to watch mine because mine are the best. <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm so sure mine are the better than everybody here, everybody on YouTube. I'm absolutely certain I'm the best. That being said, you want to watch theirs next, like after you watch mine. Okay, it's free. Just make sure all I want from you. The only payment is a thumbs up on the video because it's the it's it's incredible. It's incredible work. Oh my God, Bobert, get the hell out of here! All right, hold on a second. Let me. I want to show you this video real quick. Um, let me let me switch this and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So that that link that I gave you is going to lead you to man. What is going on with these political? Seriously. I'm I'm getting hit with a bunch of ads here, so just bear with me. It's not logged in, that's why. Okay, uh, yeah, okay. Here, here we go, right here. This video right here, and in, in the link that I sent you, is about the the very thing you're you're talking about. What I did was broke down what kind of what you should you can expect from interviews. They usually give you three interviews. Okay, you usually get three different interviews. And those interviews are screening interview. Hold on a second. Let me switch the screen back. Dude, I'm an old freaking man. Why am I taking so long to do this? Okay. So they usually give you three interview interviews. So the first interview is a screening interview. The that 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 one's like it's no, there's no stress with that one. They're usually just trying to see if you are a good fit for their organization. So it's usually a pretty short call with no stress. They'll ask like Basic questions like, um, are you willing to travel if travel is a part of it? Um, are you in the metro D.C. area? Like they ask you who, what, when, where and why? Like who uh, can I can you tell me a little bit about this experience? Right. There's no stress. This person does not know. Normally, they're not an I.T. person. They're not a cybersecurity person. Right. The screening is just like who like do you want? Can you work in this position? Let's get the main requisites out of the way, the main requirements of this position. We need somebody with a CISSP. We need somebody with a security plus. Do you have a security plus still? Is it still valid? Um, are you willing to travel? Basic things. That's the first interview. It, like I said, is no stress involved. It usually lasts maybe 10 minutes or something, maybe, maybe even less than that. The second interview, these ones kind of are interchangeable because sometimes you'll have the technical one first or you'll have the management, but you'll have one or two videos or videos, <laughs> one or two interviews, right? Sometimes they'll merge them and have the manager and the technical person do an interview. In the last few interviews, that's what it's been. I had a screening interview and then I had a panel of, I'd have, I'd have a person who's going to be my coworker, a technical person. I'd have a person who's going to be my supervisor. And then I have a, uh, like a manager type person. So I have a technical piece and a managerial piece, but you'll have at least a screening a technical portion and a management part portion of it. Okay, so three three interviews. So the second group of interviews, let's say it's a managerial one. The managerial one is going to be like they want to know if you'll be able to work with the whole with everyone. That's usually kind of their focus 
of the interview. Can this person work with everyone? That's that's kind of the focus of what they're they're going to be asking you. They're going to be asking you like, um, can you go into your cybersecurity experience? Uh, are you are you okay with working in this environment? Can you work with difficult customers? Can you? What's your experience with? Um, what's your experience with working with this or that situation? Um, are you okay with this level of travel? Can you work remotely? Can you can you work with flex time? And it's a great opportunity for you to ask them questions because the managers are going to know a lot more about benefits. They're going to lot know a lot more about the situation you're going to be in. Is it shift work? How you know those are questions you need to be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. That said, you need to actually do your own research on this organization. I'm telling you, nobody is going to give you better advice than what I'm telling you right now. I I don't know. I I've done this so many times. I've been the interviewer, and I've been the interviewee many times. So I'm telling you, these are the things that go into a risk management framework type. Uh, thing. Now, as far as the specific questions, here's what you want to know. What you want to know is is this is stuff that's in this. Now, I'm not look. You don't have to buy this book, okay? I'm not. I am not suggesting that. You can get all the stuff for free, all right, off the internet. But what you need to know is the risk management framework process. It looks a little something like. Let me see if I can. I just passed it. It look. It looks a little something like like this. Like this. I don't know if you can see that, but this right here, risk management framework. If if you can't probably can't see this on, on video, not on YouTube. But it's the just go to Google and type in risk management framework process. You need to know that process because they're gonna want to know that you know it. They're gonna ask you questions that necessity that's going to require you to go through the process. Like you need to know. That all the all the steps of risk management framework, and I, let me just give you a better picture of what I'm talking about. They're gonna ask you questions like that. Um, they're gonna ask you like, how do you deal with this or that situation, and where does this fit in the risk management framework models? It'll be questions like that. Um, NIST 800, and if you don't already know it, I would know that NIST 837. Um, NIST 837 process. Let me show you something here. Here it is right here. Looks like this. So it starts off. It starts off with the prepare process. Where you're getting everybody. Uh, you're getting everybody ready for the risk management framework process. You're telling all the stakeholders, uh, keyword there, stakeholders just means everybody who has a vested interest in the system, whether it's the development of the system, the management of the system, the administration of the system, there's all stakeholders. It could also be the CIO, the CISO, uh, everybody who is involved with the process. And then the next part, the next piece is categorization. Categorization has to do with, um, I'm trying to switch the freaking thing on over here. There we go, like that, okay. Categorization of the system means really security categorization of the system. That means like, 
what is the impact level of the system if it goes down, if people can't access it, if people, if for whatever reason, uh, the the data is compromised, it's breached. If the system goes down, what is the impact? And then you need to know the impact levels, right? They might not specifically ask you this, but it's important you know it because they'll give you situations where where you have to you you will have had to know it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's a low impact, a moderate impact, and a high impact. And the differences are low impact is like a web server with no sensitive information, right? Publicly available information on it. If you got hacked, what's the impact level to your organization? A moderate would be like a payment system. Like, yes, it's important, but it can be down for a day or something. It's critical to your, it's, it's essential to your organization, but not necessarily critical. And then the last one is a high impact system. That's like a classified system. If it goes down, people are going to lose their life. It's going to lose, it's going to lose millions of dollars. It's going to embarrass their country, stuff like that. So categorization means like figuring out what impact level security categorization once you have the security categorization now you need to select the controls that's based off of the impact level because a low impact system is going to have less controls than say a high impact system it it needs way more security controls in place to protect that very sensitive information so that selection of the security controls that you'll need to know this for the interview Implementation of the controls, it means just what, how it sounds. This is where you're installing, configuring, uh, enhancing the security controls, putting them in place, and then assessing the security controls. You are making sure that those security controls that you implemented are effectively in place. You're running scans. You're physically checking the environment. You're doing interviews. You're making sure that everything is where it's supposed to be, and if it isn't, you might have to do extra documentation. That's another thing I'll talk to you about in a second, the documentation piece. Now, another step that you have to do is authorization of the system. And this is what it's all about. Like once you have all the assessment done, you have the implementation of the controls, you have a system security plan, right, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, you're going to present a, what's called an authentication package. All the documents together are going to go forward to somebody who's going to approve it. That's a CIO. CIO is going to approve this system or, or deny it. They, they don't have to approve it. Um, and then it goes on to be continuously monitored. Once the a CIO, um, also known as the AO or authorizing official, approves it, then they give the go-ahead, and now the system is has an authorization to operate and now it's called different things like um it's approved to operate whatever the word verbiage is that they use but usually it's an authorization to operate and um then you go to the last step which is actually a continuous step continuous monitoring they're going to expect you to know this whole process now i just in a nutshell kind of explained it to you in about five minutes but they're going to expect you to know like this process and they'll they'll give you a, a scenario where you will have you will have to have known what's going on. So so that this is kind of the the thing if you know these steps right here they'll be very impressed. Right? Now, I told you I tell I talk to you about the documentation. Documentation is one of the biggest parts of the ISO ISO work. Information system security officer work. Um documentation is a big part of it. Um if you've ever written policies if you've ever written um, procedures, if you've ever done a system security plan, 
if you've ever done a a plan of action and milestone um, or uh, it basically a document that says, OK, we weren't able to remediate this particular control. However, here's what we have in place. Here's what we're going to do to get there. If you've ever done any of that, you need to let them know that you've done it and you need to cite examples of how you've implemented that. Those will impress them. All that stuff will, will be very impressive to them in the interview, um, describing that process. Now, the private sector has the equivalent of everything I just talked to you about. Um, and then you go on to say new to federal, um, but have but have been doing the private sector as an ISO. And is that an is what is an ISO? Is that a information security officer or is that a uh, information system officer? I've worked in the private sector as well, and I'm I'm here to tell you, um, you have done the equivalent of everything I just said. If you want to know more about this stuff, I'm going to give you another resource that you can read on before you go to your interview. This is a really good read for you to do, and this is NIST 837. It goes into greater detail of everything I just said. Uh, greater detail of everything I just said so that you can uh, read up on it. And what you'll what you'll notice is that a lot of things you've already done, th that's what they're talking about here, implemented, implementation of those security controls. But they just have a different name for everything that you already have done. Like, I'm sure you've done assessments before. You know, you might have called an, an, call it an audit. Um, I'm sure you've done system security plans before. They might have called it a security plan. It might have been called a security policy. You might have called it a security procedures. You know, all that stuff. If you've done it before, then it's going to be very, very familiar to you. And it's so it's, it's it might be a little bit daunting, like as I'm telling you all this stuff and like, man, I don't know what this is. I don't know what you've done it before. So you just need to be able to relate what you've done in the private sector to to what they're asking you. So what I did was in the chat, I put in another great link of everything I just talked about. It just goes into greater detail about this. And this is the NIST 837. It's not too bad of a document. It's, this one's pretty, how many pages? Like 100, 200 pages long or something like that. It's the language that kind of gets to you. Yeah, it's about 200 pages, 160 pages. The language is a little bit weird. So that's why if you if you want to, if you happen to have an Amazon account, I have a book about this whole process and where I, I explain it in plain English. So go to if you go to Amazon, let me show you what I'm talking about here. First of all, let me show you the NIST, NIST 800. Here's the NIST 837. This is this is everything. A lot of the stuff they're going to ask you. Uh, this is one of the documents. Another one's 853, but it's more like a reference guide of all the security controls and has so many different security controls. So the 837 is really going to be what they're going to kind of hover around. This is the actual process of an ISO that they're that you're interviewing for. But if you're interested, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. This this book and there's all there's also an audio version of it. It, it's it's a short book. It's like 80 pages long. I, I go straight to the point. After you're done, you know, one time I knew I had something because one time I have a I have a course about this. Like I have an actual video course and and I <laughs> somebody went through it and they 
had some suggestions for me for the course and everything. Of course, I listened to them. But they started – they were talking to me like they really knew. And they'd never done ISO stuff before. And I was like, damn, I really got to write this in a book <laughs> because it was – the dude articulated it to, back to me, my own stuff, that I was like, I would hire this guy. <laughs> so I just broke it down. This book just breaks it down in, in a, a way that makes sense. And it also gives you further further guidance on where you can go to get more information about it. It goes straight to the point. You know, it's not going to go in great detail. It goes to categorization and and all the stuff you need to know. And what you'll find in the in the private sector is that the things that you've already done are it, it's just named differently. You've already done all this. It just has a different different name so i hope that helps uh let me see i think i got some more people coming in here let me see here yeah that that was a great question bark i appreciate that all right guys i'm gonna unless there's any other final questions i think i'm gonna in this one, I've been talking for about about an hour, um, about two hours now, and um, I got to get going. But thank you guys for for listening to me. Thank you guys for participating. I really appreciate all the questions. All the questions that you ask, believe it or not, help many, many hundreds of people over time because these videos stay out for years and years. And then when I talk, I'll, I'll break it up into parts and then uh, people on TikTok are watching these videos, people on YouTube, people on Facebook are watching these videos and it's over time it literally is helping hundreds and sometimes even thousands and thousands of people to get into this field and they often have the same questions that you have. So that being said, um, like and subscribe, check me out on YouTube, check out combocourses.com, uh, check out the book on Amazon, I've, no, more books are, are coming here real soon. Um, and many more opportunities, even through a recession, uh, are coming through for cybersecurity people. But uh, that's it, guys. Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate everybody. And have a great day. You guys seriously still here? Like, go away. Get go. See you later. It's over. Bye. Bye bye. See you later. Have a good day. Have a great weekend. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs>